The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to my show, The Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water. Now, why would a person decide to have a radio talk show to go worldwide called The Power of Water? This is the reason. Earth has been called the water planet, and guess what? Some reason we were chosen in the universe to have the water. That is something to think about every moment of the day. We were chosen, this planet, to have the water. It's kind of like you go to some place on the planet and they've got sand, and you go to another place on the planet and they have gold, and you go to another place on the planet and they've got uh, all these different distinctions and values of oil or diamonds or uh, crops or grapes or whatever. This planet in the solar system has it all, but it has the water. The water is a crisis. Recall the water planet. 70% of Earth's surface is water, and 70% of the human body is water. In fact, 99% of Earth's land is also infused with water, as is 1% to 4% of the atmosphere. Now, and I've been studying for many years. I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research, and we have been studying as a team and as a group how important is water to health of the human body. Now, there's a definition I'm going to teach every time you're listening to this show to keep it in your mind and all research scientists from around the world to stop to think about. The crisis of the lack of water on the earth that is happening with fresh water, the oceans are coming higher, and the fresh water is getting shallower. Now, that isn't going to work. That cannot have a healthy planet when the oceans come up and the fresh waters begin to deplete. So when we have this definition called dehydration, I'm going to call it a drought. The moment you were born, you entered in the air you breathe from a pocket of water. Mother, Your mother is the miracle of all miracles living with this planet. You come to the air to live. Your eyelid will open. Your skin all of a sudden is no longer covered by water. It has become a drought. A dehydration decision began at that moment. No two eyes are alike because the eyelid, if it's not over the eyes all day long with the skin covering it, have to live with the air, that 1% to 4% moisture level in the air or whatever level of level you must have as an individual to whatever humidity is happening. You, you, there are no two eyes alike. 
new two complexions of the skin alike, no two fingerprints alike. There was a decision made of how you were going to live on this planet. And I've said in my research for all these years, we need to study that. Let's let's get serious. That when we're living on the planet and every day we're motion, we begin to live with it and crawl with it and walk with it and run with it, fly with it, and and it's exciting. But we haven't learned the most important critical health factor, the most in health crisis is we're a living drought. Now they're saying that Earth is having a very serious problem with water. Water wars are happening. So come and listen to our classroom. Our guests each week are the world's most knowledgeable, fascinating professionals you and I could ever meet. They're willing to teach you and I and the world listening how important it is for you to learn more about yourself and be fascinated. Be so fascinated with the fact that you're living on the planet that has the water. So there must be a human mission to this. Stop and think. Is this an um, intervention to all of us on this earth to live together and think about that as an intervention? We are the ones that have the water and we have to learn about what the human mission would be to have it last forever and be healthier? Could the disease crisis be? Isn't it strange, as modern as we are, that disease is out of control also? And then many of the medications that you do take maybe don't agree with you or surgeries. There is a dehydration, I believe. If we study together, we can learn together, and with our wonderful guests all over the world teach us could we learn more about how to live with the planet? It's going to not live with us. We have to learn to live with it. We're the chosen one in the universe. We have the water. Earth is a planet in a solar system, but why does it have the water? Big question. You should want to learn. You've got water in your body. You must learn to maintain the water on, the solar, in our, on our Earth for you to be healthy and to detoxify and be lubricated and be, and be able to fight the diseases. There's a civilization at stake here. We must learn together what we can to protect all of this. Fresh water is going to be a big problem throughout the world. Did you know there are wars that are begun that the news media isn't discussing? The news media is not discussing to you what the environmental problems have really been in the going on is the crisis of war, water, war over water, not only throughout the world in different countries and different mountains and valleys throughout the country of the United States, state to state. There is a crisis going on, but we can solve those together. It is a solving obstacle, but we need to learn to listen and take it serious and what we can each do. There's a, we're going to say this one-on-one. Let's come together and reason together on what you can learn and listen closely. This, the, the whispering of our earth is saying, leave your footprint and come together and let's see what we can do to save your life or someone else's life that you love or maybe the stranger throughout the world you'll never meet because it is so important, but it is fun. It is fascinating to learn the common sense of what it all is. Today our guest is Betsy Damon. She's from Brooklyn, New York. 
She's internationally known. She's an internationally known award-winning artist, ecologist. The topic is going to be living water garden. The living water garden. That's going to be fun. From Chengdu, China, she has learned a lot. The park is there's parks designed for clean water in this particular city. We're going to learn a lot about what China's doing. I think you've been reading that in, in Singapore and different parts of China what they're trying to learn to have clean water for the environment. Our second guest is going to be Fred Kirschman. He's uh, he's from Windsor, North Dakota. He's a Ph.D., author and president of the Kirsten Men Family Farms, a 3,500-acre certified organic farm. That is going to be fun, and I will have a lot of questions to ask. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of keeping your eyes with humidity and all naturally moisturized with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Betsy. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Betsy, are you with us? I am with you. Well, thank you for and joining happy us. happy to be there. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, I, and our listeners, when I was reading about uh, you coming on today, Keepers of the waters, vision and solutions. Then I'm coming along and it says affecting change from old ways of thinking, being, and doing. Then it came to empowering people to know. Um, all of a sudden, you're opening up the door, the, uh, the, let's say the gates, for people to understand the fascination of living on this planet. I hope so, because <laughs> we're certainly get to open our hearts to that. <laughs> yeah, our doors and our windows and everything, right? Yeah, yeah, we are well, just tell, like... Tell, tell our world about you, um, Betsy, and how did you get involved with uh, uh, the water and the topic of living water? Okay, I got involved with water when I was in 1985 when I was in Castle Valley, Utah, and nobody, almost nobody was living there, and all the waters were polluted. And I was casting a dry riverbed in handmade paper to bring people into rivers. You know, sort of, it's an idea I had to 
get urban people to think about rivers. And um, that's when I, I looked up at the stars and I realized the universe is water and everything is designed and made by water. And I didn't know anything much about water. And um, then I set out to learn. And you actually could not learn much about water. People, educated people, didn't even know about aquifers. But, you know, if you go to a conference about water, quote, unquote, it's about how many chemicals there can be in the water and how many people are getting sick from something and how nobody can do anything about it. And it's, um, But it's never about the absolute um, miracle and magic of HTO molecules. Yeah, we lost you for a second, Betsy. Uh, There was a little, I heard a little bleep. Um, I wanted to mention to the listeners when you were talking about when you decided to get involved in water, and uh, I was in a similar uh, situation back in the early 80s, is I found myself so fascinated that when I was studying the health of the human life, that we had not been studying the dehydration of the life of humans, the water loss from birth. (laughs) And then I found, I looked around the world, and I said, oh, my gosh, I don't think anybody understands the water. And I found myself doing a similar fascination that you did. (laughs) I decided to go do something about it Mm -hmm. and uh, not write a book, but literally do something about the health and body and water and I had studied for so long, I was bucking hay with my husband, with my art, our group, and in our field, and I looked up at the stars, too, and the moon, and the evening, and I said to, to my faith in God, I said, God knows, Lord, he be with, Lord will be with me, here I go. <laughs> and the next day, I said to my husband, what can I do? Uh, to, I want to do this. I'm not going to write a book about it. I'm going to go do it. And so we, the first thing we ever sold was a big, huge motorhome and got going mm-hmm. and uh, uh, found ourselves, I found myself into diving in to something that was always so fascinating everywhere I went, to be, bring water to something of a technology. In other words, we know you don't understand. I don't care which kind of a scientist you are. You were not paid to study only water. The environmentalists are more concerned about us being educated about climate, global warming, or whatever. You were right. They were only studying pollution, but they weren't studying water, which is without it, Betsy, there is no planet. That's right. There's nothing. So, you and know, we have chose a planet in the universe <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, one, I made a visual, and it's an aerial view of um, a vast river system, and it looks like a tree. And then there's the human arteries next to it. And I always say to every audience, how many of your veins and arteries could you straighten, cut out, dam, and remove before you would die? Oh, that's, that's, that, is a, that is a fact. Yeah, that is and that's truth. what we've done. And, yes. and we're, that is and, telling the truth. Yes. You know, planners and yes. um, architects and everybody, they, we have the wrong infrastructures. We have the wrong planning process. Water is not the foundation of what we do. So. Well, that's why I did the show about the years ago. <laughs> uh, I decided, uh, you know, uh, and what, can you imagine this woman yeah coming out of Oregon, going out to the world saying, uh, I'm going to teach you something 
so important that it could save your life from melanoma. It's going to educate your eyes. It's going to educate your (laughs) life and, like you said, your veins and your whole idea. Then all of a sudden, when I got out into the world, Betsy, among the scientists and all that, I've been so flattered and so enjoyably understanding and wanting to earn the respect from them to everybody, too. But I found out they forgot about the water. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I mean, that's what I do. Every project, every community, every... But it, and it is basically what it leads right back to is directly our health. Oh, in fact, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, I'll share with you, and then I want to get into what you've been doing, uh, learning, but uh, there's a book out. Have you gotten the book uh, that Stephen Solomon has written on water? You've got to get it. It's a brand new one out, bestseller. It gives us all of these 500 pages of absolute unbelievable knowledge but when i was studying that book and reading what the crisis of the global water the wars in the water the value to it better than any money or oil or anything there is on the face of the globe how valuable it has become then i realized why i had gone in and studied the dehydration of the human life because if what if, if, if the world if the planet earth is having a global freshwater crisis oh, yeah. <laughs> out of control, of yeah. course that's going to affect human life to be having a crisis of all those diseases because the organism and life of Earth and human life go together. Absolutely. You know, I'm reading Paolo Consigli's Water, Pure and Simple. Uh, I know the book you... It's another great book. There's a, finally, there are really good books out, brand new good books that... Um, uh, they confirm the thesis you had and the <clears throat> thesis I had, which was that, you know, we have to have a biologically dynamic systems on our earth, but just like we have to have it in our body. If we mess with water, and that means we, you know, every drop of water in the United States goes through something every day and is treated every day, and basically our freshwater supplies are declining with each cycle, every well, there day. There is a book out called The United States Water Crisis. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, too. It's out of control. Yeah, it is. It's out of control, and but we're you know, still doing well, it. Hey, all, I'm going to say this to you <laughs> and the world. I'm a believer, Betsy. I have this, I don't know where it came from in my life. Every obstacle is to be solved. <laughs> I do not look, I, I believe that Earth was ha- given the intervention to have the water. Earth has water. Earth has been chosen throughout the universe to have the water. But the problems we've run into challenging is we got so serious about all these other earth secrets that we they forgot about the number one earth secret is the water. Now tell us about uh, the living water garden in Chengdu. I think I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. Chengdu, China. Right, right, right. Well, you know, it was a long time ago that I did it. It was 96 to 98 and you know, it was literally a miracle. And um, I, and I could talk a long time about it, but basically I went to China with no permission and no invitation, and ended up designing and then and pulling together the people that could do different parts of the park. But it it was an idea, sort of like an ideal idea that I had, and when I proposed it to these people from the government of Chengdu, they turned around to me and said, "Can you do that?" 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and they never questioned what living and water you said was. You bet your life in water, I can. <laughs> yeah, well, I just you know shook inside and um, and but see if you say living water in the United States now people might say oh they understand what that means but. They don't understand what that means, but the Chinese actually understand they the do. difference between dead earth, dead water, dead food, and living. They do. Living. Their, their whole faith and religion is based around water. Yeah, and yeah. their whole practice. So they understood. They never questioned it. They yeah. loved the idea. We went forward even though there was no knowledge. And it turned out that the man who decided to build it was willing to go to jail. And there was the only biological hydrologist, um, engineer, hydraulic engineer in all of one of two in all of China happened to be We've in that city. We've got to take a moment with our sponsor, but let's come back and hear about that. Yeah. Because uh, I think that they, China has come a long way, and maybe you were the one who started opening those gates to that. I would not be surprised to that. Let's listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of moisturizing the eye. The eye underneath the tear film the lens needs 100% water replenishment each day. If you do not have it, you will get drowsy, you will notice the allergies, you will be blurry, maybe burning and blur, uh, blurring, and the eyes can begin to be bleed. So Nature's Tears Eye Mist is with just a mist as all natural. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Betsy. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Betsy, you were telling our listeners throughout the world about in China when you decided to go over uninvited and became part of of their lives there that you decided you wanted to have a living water garden and there was a gentleman or someone who said I will help you with this and they were willing to get into a lot of trouble with the country the government of China to prove that this living water was very important to (laughs) life and their uh, culture of their life tell us more about it well, it's a little more complicated than that, but we won't yeah. go into it. But yeah. I went over to do um, public performance art about water is how I actually got there. And then um, there was this one man, and he was in charge of the five-year plan, and he decided that he would take 
the living water garden under his into his bureau and build it at great risk to himself because the central government opposed the garden. And Juanji, then premier, opposed it, and then he came to see it, Juanji, and then he declared it one of the best things to happen. And every mayor from the major cities in all of China came, and hence a huge debate opened up about technology versus um, biology. And in the end, of course, they understood you could, inter- you know, five, six, seven, eight years later, and I was instrumental in this, too, of getting the largest biological treatment system in any city is in the Olympic Forest Park in Beijing. So when that was built, it was like, okay, we can do biology full out now, and it's and they are. They're changing their rivers. They're, they're just doing it, and it's so extremely hopeful. Well, um, I noticed, and uh, you can help me uh, explain this to the listeners, I've, I read something about in Singapore uh, that they were getting, the waters are being recycled and and they're absolutely fresh. And, and I'm sure Singapore is doing a really good job. They have that, they have the, you know, they have the kind of, there has to be some marriage between public, what's good for the public as a whole and what's good for business. And here we actually, you know, as you know, don't, not willing to make decisions that are for the really the greatest good of everyone. <laughs> if any business raises a finger and says, well, you know, that would cost me two cents more. If I really had to clean my water on site or I wasn't allowed to pollute the river or... Um, I'm going you know, to mention something there. I studied that uh, to help think about something for the listeners and you. Uh, we're living in a society here in the United States that's publicly held companies enormous amount of uh, business is done with publicly held companies with shareholders and portfolio managers. If they <laughs> spend two extra pennies or a dollar or whatever extra to go do something, the shareholder or the portfolio manager will move from that investment to another one who is willing to be, let's, I'll, I'll even be bold and say greedy. Sure. And, uh, and, and around the world, uh, you'll notice that uh, those environmental concerns, the people that were making a lot of money, and they said, I don't know, I don't have the time to go uh, study it, that Al Gore became a billionaire over studying uh, climate change, global, global warming. <laughs> and you find that people become so confused, Betsy. They do. Yeah, and they can, you know, we all do. I mean, we, we, we cannot one of us say, you know, here's this company over here, Mm-hmm. that really cares, they donate, contribute, they're very much involved in pe- putting people to work. But all of a sudden, somebody says, if you put money over here, this is going to change something. And in China now, you just said, they were wondering, why did you want to take their country and turn it into clean water? And then all of a sudden, somebody took a stand and said, watch to see <laughs> you know what i mean well, I, well, I didn't go there planning to do this vision i oh, at you all. didn't you uh, no no i i just go and talk about water and get people engaged in their okay. water systems and uh-huh. you know it's up to i i gave the idea to them and then they said can you do it oh wonderful and, just you know wonderful. In, in portland we started the the first stormwater treatment system was the da vinci school and that came out of keepers of the waters 
And then that, that's morphed into every school now having stormwater treatment mm-hmm. and stormwater treatment being pretty pretty everywhere in Portland. But my you say Portland East or Portland, Portland West? Oregon. Portland, Portland Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Yeah. And but you know and these are technical engineering solutions that we actually all know. People know how to do them. Mm-hmm. And um but choosing to do the right thing is something else. Well, can I share yeah. something with you to think about, and we can all kind of think about yeah. it today. Uh, why is it they put so much money into making people so well-to-do and running around with all that money on the global warming when I have been studying, and I think they may prove in time, that the fresh water on the surface of the globe is affecting climate. Yeah, it's the cool. It, the water is the cooling factor on our planet. Exactly, and it, and, and it here you've got an ocean. Guess what, getting, folks? <laughs> you've got an ocean that's getting higher. Yep. All the waters are running to the ocean, or they're sinking down. And like you said, most people don't know what the definition of an aquifer is. It's the water below the earth you don't get to see. <laughs> that may be hiding, and you don't get to use it or keep it recycled with rainwater no, and, and so it's, on. It's not an endless source, you know. It, it won't be there forever. <laughs> yeah. And my, you know, and we all study. And and who is smart enough, you know, Betsy? Uh, we've all had, I've had a Nobel Prize winner on here, the United Nations on here. We could go on and on. And we've had a, someone from the U.S. Geological Survey uh, with NASA about the ice on the moon. And we've had a lot of exciting new knowledge and new thoughts and, and enthusiasm and fascination to learn from people like yourself and from my background, my research. But yeah. I looked at what happened in, for example, uh, California. Now, when we go in as a society and take away from a society and those aquifers don't get what they were so used to having for so long, the irrigation waters that would absorb through the earth and go down and fill those and put more put water back into those aquifers, and those aquifers are becoming now uh, dense, so they, and they will. I've studied, <laughs> I've had watershed people on here, heads of watersheds from yep. all over. And what is your thinking real quickly on all of that? Is, is there an, Do you have a thinking on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, every city needs to basically live off their own footprint. That means the buildings become their mountains, they collect everything, and they recycle everything. <laughs> and they take care of their own Whatever falls on you is yours. I want to thank you for that one uh, because and, that's how and, and I look at it. It's kind of like a God-given thing, right? You you don't you don't you can't we can't exceed our limits of what we're given. <laughs> and of course, sometimes it's good. You know, communities, whole areas could get together and decide how they're going to use all the resource that's in that area. But right now, we can sell off our national water supply. You can sell it to a bottling company. You can sell it to France. You can sell it to China. You can sell off. In fact, Nestle's tried to buy the right to mine the aquifer in Northern California for almost no money. And I'm just go. You go from that conversation to how sacred these these H2O molecules are and what kind of miracle they are, and you know how they really function to create life. If you think of every single form we see out there, in some way. 
is a result of the ma- a magical flexibility and incredibility of H2O can molecules. I, can I share something about the well, drinking water uh, yeah. that are available to people that are safer than their tap waters are? Mm-hmm. I've been studying for so long and learned yeah. that sometimes <laughs> those such pipes, a big conversation. <laughs> yeah, those pipes uh, yeah. are a problem. We never oh, yeah. learned way back in time that potentially the pipe could be a problem. Yep. Uh, Legionnaire and E. coli and we sure. go on. And uh, bacteria. Pardon? Every time you pipe water, it deteriorates. And they can't well, well and every time you go to turn it on, there could be something in the, in the pipe that comes through there that we didn't have a particular special filter system on. And, and when you think about way back in time, when foreign countries, like, in, uh, like you said, in France and different countries, got into buying water, for people to have safer water to drink. And what happened, Betsy, way back in time, they found that some of the waters were not safe and the communities, uh, foreign countries, didn't have safe water to drink. And uh, then there was one particular spot in the community that did. They found it did. So Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they would begin to share the water that was safe, that nobody else had safe water. Yeah. Well, then our country of America, that began a business world to where people, if they didn't have safe water, they could buy water that could be safer. Uh, our country didn't think that way, uh, to me, soon enough. Um, we have, our schools are full, uh, uh, have been studied and have them very unsafe water. Yeah. Uh, we have not had until the last two, three decades water to even buy that was safe. Uh, they had yeah. to keep drinking their tap water. Uh, because they didn't, and where do you go get your water to know that it's safer than maybe the water you're drinking at home that maybe has too much uh, sodium, uh, too heavily mineralized? It's a possibility, I don't know, Betsy, that when people can be allergic to the air, allergic to chocolate and milk and so on, are we allergic to our water? We're not sure. Yeah, well, you know, we have have a very low dilution rate for for um, water that goes into our system, like Canada, you have to have a 1 to 10 dilution. We only have a 1 to 5, so we've literally been pouring chemicals into all our systems. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, really, wastewater and water treatment should be very localized. Like, for every, say, half a million people, there should be a wonderful biological treatment system that everybody understands the way they understand their high school or their university. And and the same with the water delivery system. The water delivery sh- system should be small, the pipes short. <laughs> uh, you know, if you need a accelerate cleaning, then now, when it's you right say there. small and short, let's help our listeners learn something. What does small mean to you? Well, small means to me that um, you it, it delivers the water for a community of about half a million. Okay, and then the okay. short pipes mean what? They mean that all the pipes are, you know, you're, if you think about how big, of, how much water you have to use to send your waste from your toilet all the way 30 miles to a water treatment okay, plant. I'm following you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or your water's coming from 200 miles away. How many times they have to add chlorine and other things to keep bacteria out of the system? It's huge. So, if so the was, ideas might be to consider studying and researching that the water plants should be closer to a certain radius of population. 
Yeah, I think that's been researched. <laughs> um, well, what I mean, research, yeah, but and, and people don't do it. Uh, yeah. What's happening now in the world out there is make it uh, making it affordable uh, for people who can afford it. Uh, it's the saddest part about what we're learning. Well, now, we I, only have a half a minute left, and you have been very, very special. I want to <laughs> thank you for what I've been learning, and all of us. What would you like to? I know your website is Keeper. Keepersofthewaters.org. Keepers yep, and um, there's lots on it. I'm researching the sacred water culture of the Tibetans right now. Which oh, is good nice. for you. I've studied that too. Yeah, and so get involved in your water. Get involved in the infrastructure changes that have to take place now so that in 20 years we'll have a new system. Oh, yes, yes, and, and drink Change it now, and change it now when we need the economic incentive and to put people to work. Have it go there. You know, I've said that all along, too. You're smart. Yes. Um, that we could, a lot of people could go to work studying all of this and being a technology. Building it. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> There's incredibly good systems now that do not fact, need I chemicals. I need to tell you real quickly. I had a guest on here who was a very famous author on patenting. And the reason I brought him on for an environmental show and concerns, I said, wouldn't it be exciting if people could be encouraged to go out and invent ideas to do these things, Betsy? We know how to do it. I know them. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. I want to keep you, and thank you for your human mission on the planet. And people are getting them every day, and thank you so much for your work. Thank you for your work. Yeah. Join forces and bring the world together on it, right? Yeah, I hope I meet you. Uh, You will. Thank you, Betsy. You have a nice day. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, the power of water, the human mission, is in Betsy's bones and in her life. And everything she touches, you can tell by her, and her what she's giving up, uh, giving to do this. And, and lots of free time that she could have been doing something else, but she believes in the power of water, saving the civilization and this planet that was chosen on the, in the universe to have the water. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature Tears I Missed, and we'll be back in a moment with another exciting way to live on this planet. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening.
listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Fred, are you with us? I am here. Well, thank you for joining us. I was really excited about this today. And you're the author and president of the Kirshen. Can you help me pronounce your name? Kirsch. Well, it's it's uh, Kirschenmann in the in the German, but it's been anglicized to Kirschmann. That's easier. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, my husband's from Holland, and our name is really, but here it's really pronounced Kleina. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And okay, Kirschmann. Yeah. I want I wanted to ask you. You're a tell, uh, tell our audience, first of all, you're author and president of the Kirschman Family Farms, a 3,500-acre certified organic farm in North Dakota. That's correct. And you're a Ph.D. in what you do. Tell us how you started what you do, because this is a fascination to me. <laughs> well, uh, it's a rather long story. It actually, uh, when I, uh, uh, I went off to college and uh, graduate school and then actually started a career in higher education, and it was one of my students who introduced me to organic agriculture, so it was definitely a student-teacher role reversal. And um, I was so impressed with, uh, he had been an undergraduate student at the University of Nebraska, where uh, Warren Saws, who, so far as I know, was the first extension specialist to take research in organic agriculture seriously. And, and so, this is in our country or your state? Uh, this was in Nebraska. Uh, in Nebraska. At, at the University okay. of Nebraska, right. And David, this former student of mine, uh, was his uh, student research assistant. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they did was set up plots to look at what would happen to soil quality under good management practices organically compared with conventional soil management. And so David was showing me the pictures of what happened to the quality of the soil under organic management. And, uh, and then... Uh, and my father was still operating the farm at that time. And then in 1976, he had a mild heart attack and indicated he wanted to have somebody else come and manage the farm for him. And so I told him if we could convert it to an organic farm, I'd come back and now, do what it. Now, you, what was your fa- farm doing at that time? Uh, what well, was it, it growing? Was, yeah, it was, uh, you know, my father was also, um, uh, and one of the things he instilled in me was the ethic of taking care of the land because he and my mother started farming in North Dakota in 1930, which was, you know, during the Depression and the Dust Bowl. Wow, I love that story, yeah. But he was also very progressive, and so uh, he finally bought into, uh, you know, the more industrial model with fertilizers and pesticides, et cetera. So by the time I came back to take over the farm, it was pretty much a specialized uh, wheat and sunflower And can I mention something real quick, because I've studied all that, as you have, and a lot of people will take the comments. Way back in time... There became a lot of pressure because there weren't there were people farming, but there became a lot of pressure to grow the crops quicker, and 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 sure. take less risks at the weather changes, the um, 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 uh, any of the insect problems. So they tried everything they could to be able to afford to run their farms with the funding they had, all the money they had, and maybe. Uh, try to figure out how they could get a crop out and not have all of these unforeseen things happen and maybe lose all their money that season. Yeah, and it was... And, and you know, to be fair to them only, but now we're coming forward and we're learning that you can do the same identical thing uh, with more organic means of 
of technology to learn how to do it without having to use all of the pesticides and all of the fertilizers and and what they were doing and what what they were doing way back in time. You know, Fred, I always say our forefathers were geniuses to me. I really absolutely cannot believe how they could do the pyramids and they could do what they've done in the uh, foods and and health and all the things they've learned. But the one thing I've always understood is they and they also invented cigarettes and they also invented the frying pan. <laughs> and so and they didn't mean to be. They were generous at their lives. They gave their lives to help generations to come not understanding some of these things that we're trying to learn now so tell us more about your farm well so so it had become uh, a very specialized farm uh, monoculture wheat and sunflowers and uh, of course using fertilizers and and pesticides to maintain that system and um, so uh, you know I I was on a pretty steep learning curve because there weren't a lot of people around back then to you know, to help you figure out how to do this. And it took us about four years to really put a system together that uh, that worked effectively. And uh, so we've been uh, operating it as an organic farm ever since. Now, when you say organic, what is you, what do yours, your family do to keep it organic? Well, I mean, we, you know, we, uh, uh, to, first of all, of course, to, to be certified, we have to follow the, the rules of the, the National Organic Standards Act, uh, which we do. Uh, but uh, we also go beyond that in the sense that... Uh, now, you know, before we go on a little bit, let's have fun. When we go into a grocery store, one of my favorite stores in the whole wide world, and I'll give them some free ad here, Whole Food Stores. I like it. They're fun. I walk in, and I, I just went in one in Manhattan recently, down in the Time Warner building. I was shocked. I don't know if you've been there, Fred. No, down, and right in the middle of Manhattan, they've got a, a beautiful Whole Food store. You go down the escalator, and all of a sudden, here's all of these choices of organic foods. Teach our audience what, when you have to certify to be organic. What is that definite? What is that description? Well, uh, the the main thing in terms of meeting the National Organic Standards Act is that you cannot use um, any synthetic materials on your farm, with the exception of a few that are on what they call the allowed list. And if people want to find out what that is. Uh, you know, you can get on the USDA organic website and, uh, and it's all there. Uh, and you can use any natural inputs with the exception of a few that are not allowed. For example, arsenic is a natural um, ingredient and you don't want to use arsenic on your farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you... What do you do for in, uh, uh, insects and pe- the, uh, what happens well, there with those unknowns? Yeah, well, the main the main thing you have to do on an organic farm is you have to put together a diverse system uh, in terms of crop mostly crop rotations. And if you have the right crop, if you find to get the right crop rotation together, then you can avoid um, most of the problems that conventional farmers solve with. Okay, uh, that's an interesting one because I've seen that here in Oregon, dry, driving up and down the uh, I five. You can go into California, Oregon, and you do see a rotation going on. Yeah, and then the other thing, of course, is you want to have your uh, you want to introduce uh, natural predators, which uh, you know help to keep uh, pests under control. So, now, what's that? Well, it's uh, you know there's uh, I mean almost every organism has uh, another organism that will attack it, and so if you have uh, if you have a pest that uh, is uh, you know a problem for a crop that you're growing, then you you, know, you look for another. 
uh, organism that it, that Other path. that 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 you know it has that okay, that, will, that okay. test for lunch. <laughs> okay, that, okay, I've wondered about that. Okay, yeah. I've seen, I've studied a little bit, but I haven't understood. Now, what are you doing for water? Are you finding that there's different methods of of irrigating the land to keep the soil for uh, fertile and and the rock well, below yeah, the... of course, of course, as you probably know, uh, we're drawing down our freshwater resources all across the planet um, for our food and agriculture system at an absolutely unsustainable rate, right. Um, in North Dakota, you know, there, where we are, our part, our part of North Dakota, there isn't any irrigation water available. So we have had to live with whatever, uh, you know, nature provides in the form of rainfall. And so the main thing that we have done, which has worked quite well for us, is to improve the biological health of our soil. Okay. Because That's if you wonderful. have healthy soil, it will absorb and retain much so more So what moisture. are you doing to your soil? Because I've studied a little bit. I'm not, don't ever misunderstand me. Uh, I'm strictly studying water all over the world. But, of course, if you're studying water, you have to study the rock. You have to study the soil. You have to study the when the yeah. volcanoes happened and the earthquakes happened and, and the mountains came about and so on. Uh, yeah, well, what do you do to keep that soil uh, fertile and supple? Yeah. Well, again, part of it is the crop rotation, but the most important thing is to is to use good compost. There isn't okay, anything good like compost. good compost to Okay, let's find out your secret. Is there a secret to that compost? Well, um, you know, uh, and here again is you know we have we have a, a diversified farm. It's both crops and livestock, and okay. uh, our livestock in the winter months we have in large loafing areas, and we put. Um, straw down as a bedding for them, and the straw absorbs the urine and the manure. Okay. And then you take that straw manure mixture and compost it, and compost it. Uh, it's the best compost you can get. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Huh. Well, thank you for sharing that secret. I bet a yep. lot of people, you know, they don't know for sure what everybody, what different organic farms are doing. Sure. Now, Around the country and here in the United States, we are having a water crisis, but the world is having a water crisis. Right. In fact, Fred, there's a book I'm talking about today that Steve Solomon, Stephen Solomon has out called Water. It's just called Water. And 500 pages of some of the most knowledgeable print research and interview I have seen in all the 30 years I've been studying. When you're watering, do you get to water at all? And if you're watering at all, what is the method you use? You know, we don't because, like I say, there is oh, no irrigation no water. no water at all? No. No, we, there is no aquifer under the land where we are. There oh, my is, goodness, uh, that is an interesting. There is an aquifer about 40 miles west of our farm, uh, but right where we are, there isn't. And, um, and uh, you know, there now, are wetlands. tell me about the climate in North Dakota, because I'd like the listeners and I to study this one for the second in our classroom with you. So if you don't have the water and you don't have the aquifer below... What is what's the humidity of the air there? Well, it's generally quite low. Our our normal uh, moisture accumulation in the course of a year is fourteen inches, so that's oh. what we have to live with. Uh huh. And um, and this is why you know. Now tell me about your animals that are there. What kind of animals do you have in that area? And what kind of you say you have? Obviously, cattle. But yeah, what, how, how do the animals uh, surviving and making it well, with not a lot animal, of moisture? You know, there are a lot of wetlands, and, and animals are allowed to drink water from the wetlands, uh, okay. but uh, you cannot use wetlands for irrigation because, you know, we want to preserve the wetlands, mm-hmm. and, um, and legally we're required to preserve them. Mm-hmm. So you can't use that water for irrigation, but you can use it for, uh, for drinking for your livestock. Yeah, you and have then really during the winter, during the winter I mean, we do have... We do have 
uh, underground springs, which is, and so so there are wells, mm-hmm. but you can't pump uh, water from those underground springs very rapidly because if you do, it will the, the spring underneath will collapse and it'll ruin the, the it'll ruin the water source. So you have to, but you can pump it slow enough so that you can provide drinking water for your animals during the winter months. And your and your livelihood for your own civilization. Yes, right. What is the main industry of North Dakota? Well, agriculture. I was going to say <laughs> agriculture is still the you know, the main industry. Uh, there, uh, the oil has been uh, coming in recently. You know, the, they have to go through the shale to get to the oil. Mm-hmm. So um, it's never been. Uh, 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 productive for companies to do that until you know the oil price went up to $140 a barrel, and so now they are drilling for oil in North Dakota. But agriculture still is the major income-producing industry. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just, this was a lot of knowledge today. You know, you know, when I think about all the years I've been studying for 30 odd years, which could you live? I, I've said, Fred, I've had a, a, a L.A. Chow on here, a very famous, well-known Ph.D. who's from China. And I said, Ellie, we're a thousand years old trying to study this, right, Fred? Because there's so much to learn. Sure. And could you live long enough yeah. and still be learning about it? Yeah. And the earth has to have it has to have food. It has to have civilization. You know, I was saying to our earlier guest Betsy, who is internationally known and award-winning artist and ecologist on living waters in the world and going around. And and you stop and think about the planet. Earth has water, and you're saying that, yes, we've been chosen out of the whole solar system that we know of to have the water. And there at that spot in North Dakota, you and your family and, and generations have had to learn to live without too much water because you didn't have it available to do what you chose to do to provide the rest of the world with what you're doing with your uh, farming. Sure, and I, and I think it's what the rest of us have to learn to do, because right now we're using 70% of our fresh water on the planet just for agricultural irrigation, and then another 20% for you know, processing food. So uh, you know, we can't continue to do that, uh, because uh, you know, especially in uh, places like China and India, you know, we're drawing down uh, groundwater at uh, you know, 10 to 15 feet a year. And even the Ogallala Aquifer, which provides the primary source of irrigation water for the heartland, you know, we've drawn that down by about half since 1960. So we we all are going to have to learn uh, to produce our food with. Don't a, with you wish, help. Fred, that they would put money priority into that number one oh, with the environment sure. concerns? With yeah, I think I think that one of the smartest things we could do right now is to uh, is to initiate a soil health restoration program throughout the world. Uh, you know, you know, just, to, just to give you an example of how significant that is, uh, the Rodale Institute did, has done some research, and they simply looked at or the percent of organic matter in soil, which is only one indicator of healthy soil. It's an important one. And what they found was that if you have 1% organic matter, soil will absorb about 33 pounds of water per cubic yard. If you have 5% organic matter, it's 195 pounds. So you could cut your irrigation requirements uh, you know, sixfold just by improving the quality of the soil to that extent. Well, you've done a lot. I wish we had more time because all of a sudden here again, you during the show, you started teaching us a lot. And I'm hoping I can take some time out of your very busy life and bring you on for a longer period because yeah. that is something that our show should be teaching, the power of water 
and the human mission could be the, this knowledge. And Fred, is there a better way to save lives in the, in the world that we're living in than education? Education is vital. We all need to learn some common sense. Yep, I, well, I want to thank you for coming to the show and giving your time and your family giving your dedication to what you're doing because have you learned a lot now you go to to come to you and your website would be uh, lee l-e-o-p-o-l-d dot i-a-s-t-a-t-e education.com right that's correct right okay well i want to thank you for giving us your time and uh i would hope we i hope i can uh, have you as a guest again sure be happy to do it thank you you have a nice day you too. Take care. Bye, and be well. Bye. Wow. I, I mean, I say this in a lot of the shows through the years. Uh, we can learn so much. It brings tears to my eyes to think about what we can do with the power of water, the human mission, and what you can do to join with us and learn together. When you're through listening, go, go spread the word about what you learn, about what's out there for you to be healthy and for all of us to leave a footprint. Earth has a, has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. Earth is whispering. Leave your footprint and let's join together one by one and let's save a life and maybe your life and somebody else's life. I want to thank you for listening. Be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.